Hi everyone, welcome to You Belong Here. I'm your host, Beth Ruffin. And if you've ever struggled with understanding your place in the world, I'm so glad you're here. I'm your guide for getting unstuck and showing up for yourself. Each week, we'll discuss actionable steps you can take to insist on yourself, ignite yourself to action, and create meaningful impact in your life. If you're ready for a life-changing transformation, grab a notebook and a pen and get ready. And in case no one has told you today, you belong here. Welcome back to another episode of At the Table with Beth Ruffin. I am here with my very good friend, Doc A. Now, let me just tell you about Dr. A. And you're going to hear this throughout, okay? But she has such a loving and nurturing and kind spirit that... Now, I don't want to... We're looking at each other. I don't want to make her cry at the beginning of the interview, but um, I'm just so happy that you said yes to the podcast invitation. I'm so excited that you're here. So, Doc A, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely. Can you um, just introduce yourself and tell the people about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Ida or Dr. A, as most people call me, I am originally from Puerto Rico and I've been in the Midwest for many years doing work in a mix of industries, whether it's been higher education to association management to nonprofits around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So I've been a strategic partner and a program manager. Awesome. And I have a question. This is just for my own purpose. Are there a lot of people of Latin heritage in the Midwest? Yeah, they are. I mean, I think historically, I would say, and it's changing, we would see a lot of uh, Mexican, Mexican-American folks um, up here. We're starting to see a bigger Puerto Rican community um, up here. Many of them um, come to college or are going to doing residencies in the Mayo Clinic or things like that. So we're seeing a lot of them coming in um, that way. And honestly, I'm seeing more Venezuelans and Colombians as well. So it's really getting to be a very nice community here. Okay, that's awesome. I, yeah. You know, I, when I think Midwest, I do not think of a lot of diversity. And that's an assumption that a lot of us probably make that is wrong. I think especially for Puerto Ricans, oftentimes people think New York, Jersey, Philly, mm -hmm. Boston, right? So. That's oftentimes what I had to unpack here, that people were not used to Puerto Rican culture or Puerto Ricans or assumed that I was Mexican because that's all that they knew of folks. So that diversity of people is really getting there, especially in the Twin Cities. All right. Well, when I come visit you, you'll have to introduce me to. I would love it. Yes. So I know that how you and I have met is through the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion belonging. What I want to first ask you is, how is it managing this work as someone who also benefits from the work? How do you manage that? Because for me, that has caused some overwhelm and some burnout. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes we enter into this work of DEIB because we know what the benefits of it are in terms of sense of community, uh, feeling your identities are being celebrated, seen, and heard. 
um, through that process, that sense of someone along the way has created in, an intentional space for you to feel the sense of belonging. And beyond that, when we tie it to critical social movements and historical context, we know that we are really intricately connected to this history of liberation and justice for people. So once you're kind of moved that way, because you've felt the possibilities, right, and, and felt seen, by default, you want others to feel the same. What oftentimes happens is that we're carrying all of our identities um, in the forefront every day. And there's a lot of beauty to our identities and our histories and where we come from. And there's also a lot of trauma and there's a lot of pain. And not at all times are we in a place to navigate, I would say, swiftly between the beauty of the work and also what it can at times really trigger, you know, some of that trauma and, and some of the ways in which our body and our minds and our DNAs remember um, of where our peoples have been through. Uh, that makes it really challenging. And so you don't want to lose the sense of humanness in the work, but then there's also kind of a natural way in which kind of we need to do some self-preservation and some coping um, to also protect our spirits. I oftentimes talk about it through a lens of leading from a place of healing rather than leading from a place of trauma. And oftentimes we're really managing both at all times. And I would say, honestly, it's one of the most courageous ways of living and it's also can be because of the conditions, the political environments that we're in, work environments and everything else. It can't be simply exhausting and finding it really difficult to disconnect without feeling as though our work was the word not committed enough or we don't feel like we're authentic enough in the work, which is that's all white supremacy. It's not real. It's really an illusion. We're giving plenty. Actually, I would say I think we need to do a better job as DEIB professionals to pour so much out of you onto others. Like there's got to be something for you as well, if that makes sense. So it's a very challenging way of doing really beautiful and very powerful and also very painful and very complicated work. So we're constantly in that dance um, with it, if that makes sense. It does. And I love the way you put it of lead from a place of healing instead of a place of trauma. I think that is something that we can use for all of our lives. Yes, we've gone through trauma, but to really lead of how are we going to heal this? I was just like, we're breaking cycles, right? I think about like other ways in which I use that same approach is by, you know, through my parenting. I have a 15 year old. And so I lived a certain level of trauma in my own childhood. And I'm working from a place of healing meetings that I'm, I'm, you know, do therapy, that I do the work, that I'm present. And while I'm undoing my own cycles and I'm trying to parent in a healthy way, that is a very courageous, you know, process and, and a very complicated process to go through because you're breaking cycles while at the same time, you know, you're building new ones along the way. I love that. And when I think about this concept of self-inclusion, I didn't realize it at the time, but 
that is the practice that I was following because I had spent so much time on the outside being excluded, begging for a seat. And I had to take a look and say, okay, what do I have control over? You know what? I have control over fostering my own sense of belonging. And so I love that theme. So let's get into this, into the questions around self-inclusion. The first step in this process is insisting on yourself, Mm -hmm. which can be really hard if you are coming from a place of trauma or hurt or pain. So talk to us about how do we begin to insist on ourselves? And not only are we working and navigating through healing and trauma and everything else, but we're also have this powerful tensions that are coming at us through the systems, capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, sexism, racism, all of the isms benefit from each other and have created a very carefully designed system that how that gets manifested in us a few ways in which it gets manifested in us is that we don't do that self-inclusion right that we're supposed to not see ourselves as worthy of Mm. a pause worthy of value worthy of that self-inclusion instead we're supposed to see ourselves as we need to be productive we need to come up with some outcome with an objective that needs to be met and really move the human being through this process that goes outside of what should be a natural humanization of our lives of self-inclusion we walk away feeling guilty, feeling shameful, and we battle with ourselves because everything else around us is telling us otherwise. And even people that we love and people that we care about in our communities, we're so thickly conditioned that any kind of attempt on your on our part, really, to do that self-inclusion to make that pause happen, to make rest happen and make that shift happen, it is a direct tension and a direct challenge to what, quote unquote, we know to be true, which is not really true. It's just we've been trained to believe that it's true. I think it's an area in which I think we're starting to get better at really having these conversations about how incredibly important that self-inclusion is uh, for our own health, physical, mental, emotional health, for our communities, for our well-being with our families. What we may not be realizing is those acts of self-inclusion are radical and political. Right. You're you're like, I'm not radical or political. Yes, you are. By the fact that you're trying to center self-inclusion automatically within the systems that we're navigating and living and breathing every day, it makes you this political, radical human being. Mm -hmm. It it shouldn't be. It should just be something that we embrace and, and accept. But by you pushing back on the systems and saying no, it just puts you at odds with everything else that that's around you but there's some 
really amazing work that's happening. And especially if I think about Rest for Liberation by Tricia Hershey, it's one of my favorite books. I love this because it's also tied to Black liberation. Oftentimes, as I read her work, which I've read that book 20,000 times and I just got the, the deck. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in it. If we can reach that self-inclusion and that level of liberation, I know I'm able to do that. If I can have our most systemically exploited and excluded folks um, to do that, I know I can. I know I can find my freedom and I can be free and I can find my self-inclusion without guilt or shame. That's an important piece because I've heard people say, I don't know if I should take PTO. I feel guilty for wanting to take some time. You know, people not leaving their desks for lunch. Like you said, these systems of oppression are built to perpetuate themselves. They're built to perpetuate the systems and not to benefit us. You know, and I often will respond and say, do you know if you pass away, they will have somebody in your seat tomorrow, right? Like we get so much of ourselves that is not given in returns. If we were as dedicated to ourselves as we are to our jobs, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But imagine the difference here, and that's where capitalism takes a hold of our psyche. Because the difference maker here is that the job gives us the money, therefore it gives us the wealth, therefore it gives us success. That's right. And the illusion of success, That's the what... golden handcuffs, right? And then that doesn't seem to be the same. We don't see it the same way when we actually were to prioritize ourselves to do that self-inclusion and actually do understand that one, we earned our PTO. Yep. And so... Oftentimes I hear folks talking about what I'm the only one in the office or I'm one of a team of one or two. Okay, then I'll turn to my supervisor and be like, who's going to wear those hats while I'm away? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And some of it is also the innate fear that's created in the systems that if you were to do what I just proposed, that because we live in such a violent society, that violence would show up by putting, you know, over your head that you're not committed enough, therefore this could cost you your job. Right. And again, it creates the cycle um, of oppression and fear and uncertainty uh, for people. And also because we're consuming this, right? We're also consumers and we're also conditioned and we also play a role in our own oppression, unfortunately, mm -hmm. that if, if somebody else would take their PTO, we would criticize them in the office. You're like, oh, look at that. What an inconvenience. Must be nice to have some of that time off rather than saying, how come that person's making that a priority? What can I do? What are some lessons that I can take in terms of the time that I know I've earned and that I deserve to take to get better? I always encourage people to really change their approach with work. Because what's dangerous about working within this neoliberal capitalistic society is that our whole identity, it's tied to wealth production and producing, right? And so it is so critical for us to shift the relationship. So I almost tell people is that, you know, approach your work like you would a consultant, right? Like, let's say you're inside, you're an insider, you're in this work, but approach it as though you're consulting with them, meaning that, you know, you'll approach your work. You can still care, you can still present yourself well, you can still do the projects and, and so forth, but it creates a little bit of a 
you know, not my circus kind of a thing. Like I'm mm-hmm. here, you know, within this, but it's not totally mine. Like it creates a, a healthy distance that I think it's important, you know, for us to do that. Then we stop measuring ourselves in, in our capacity to do project base or whatever it is, the type of work that we do um, without having our identity so tied to yeah. it, especially tied to a particular institution, right? It, although even that's shifting quite a bit. So, yeah, because then what happens is if something happens to that institution or to that job or that role or that work, and it goes away you didn't expect, now you're looking at your value in a way that is unfair to yourself. You know, I often ask the question, who are you without any roles? Mm-hmm. You know, when you say someone will talk about yourself, oh, I work at this, I'm a mom, I'm married. If we stripped away all of the roles, who are you in the mm-hmm. core? I'm going to ask you that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm spicy <laughs> and sassy. And I, I live my life with a lot of joy. I love very deeply. And I'm obsessed with traveling and meeting new people and learning languages and and just being a citizen of the world. And that's kind of what drives me on a day-to-day basis, right? So that's me outside of the titles, outside of the work and so forth. But to your point, I think it's immediate for us to identify within our work environments or titles and and so forth. And that's why then it becomes even more painful when people are unemployed or when they're laid off, because it's as though the meaning of life has gone, right? And and people have to tolerate and work through the comments like, get a job. Why can't you get a job? Well, as though they have no meaning or they have nothing else that fulfills them yeah. in life. And I think once we take a good look at that and realize that, I hope that more people do pay attention to that and ask themselves the question that you just asked me, who am I really beyond this titles, beyond this work and kind of what really drives me just as a human being and as a citizen of the world to do this, that doesn't have to be confined by what I produce, what I give, the hours I work, the benefits I get, or the cutest car, the next Apple phone, right? That's Trying to keep up with the Joneses, we say. Yeah. And the sad thing about it is that most of us are paycheck to paycheck, right? So who are we? So then we become more dependent, but it's perfectly designed. Then we become more dependent than work. And then we're tied into that. And then we can't get out of debt and out of that. But somehow, you know, we have to show with all these devices that we're successful, that somehow we do that. It's just, I, I think we're coming to this point of this reckoning and we're seeing some of these changes with the move towards remote working. I think a lot of people got to gain a lot of clarity about what kind of life they want to live, especially with the unfortunate pandemic um, and the people we lost. I think many people really had to be faced with this, just really what I'm hoping would be a once in a lifetime, you know, experience of what we just went through. And also having to analyze and really think about whether this is the life that they want to live, if this is the kind of job that they want to have. So a lot of people make those changes and you still see it as people are shopping for jobs and looking for jobs, I think people have, have really tuned in differently and the expectations of what the workplace um, should be. So I think we're on our way um, to do some of that, but there's still this natural uh, tension 
that shows up for us. I think for those of us in older generations, it's where, you know, we were told you put your head down, you work hard, you don't cause a wave or a ripple, right? And you have a nice life and then you can enjoy yourself in retirement. But I hope that going through things like a pandemic, right, or seeing you know, a lot of people in our lives are passing or transitioning. That doesn't work for me anymore. That is not enough for me anymore, right? I want to have this great life while I'm here and while I can enjoy it. Yeah. And not only am I Gen X, but I also grew up in a working class, you know, low income Mm -hmm. household, a single parent household. And so I just remember when I think about kind of what were some of the messages that I got? My mom worked three to four jobs to keep the lights on, keep food on the table. And it was just expected that she she never rested. Yeah. Never Resting was not something I saw. And I didn't learn some of that from her. I learned some from my grandmother, but certainly she was on the rat race, right? Just to keep keep things afloat. And so where are we getting these messages where do we see that rest is possible is important and the complicated journeys and histories that we have with that, right? That we've, some of the things we've learned from people we loved and kind of like we don't rest. And so when I have made decisions to walk away from jobs that were toxic to just do my consulting full-time, it has confused my mother. She's just like, well, who's going to pay the bills? Like, how could you not be? And within a week, she just expects that I would just find a job. How could I just be this chill without a job? And I know that some of that, it's, you know, how life, you know, was stacked, you know, for her. But it's also generationally. I just think about some of the Gen Z's that I have worked with that they went in for a job six months. They didn't like it. They left. They moved on. My generation would have been like raising eyebrows over it. They would have been like, that's what do you mean? Like they wouldn't have looked to hire you. You needed, you, we weren't right at the level of like, you needed to be in the company for 30 years, but it, it, there needed to be a little more longevity in a way that for this generation is a little bit more fluid. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of sticking close to the <laughs> Gen Z's yeah. because I think there's a lot that I can learn from them about a, their generation has their own level of challenges to deal with like ours and There's a lot that I really appreciate about their boundaries, about, you know, kind of their approach to work. They're still committed. They do the work, but they still keep a healthy distance and they're trying to live a life outside of that. There's a lot that I have been very grateful for having Gen Z folks in my life that I think in many cases, I've told people, I said, it kind of has has helped save my own life in this process, right? Because I burned out twice from two different jobs working the way that I thought was bought into, you know, the rat race and the idea of success and so forth until my health started to decline. And once I started to gain this different perspectives and different ways of thinking about it and thinking about the world, how I was conditioned, how I was playing an active role into it, And then seeing some of this different generations, how they manage things, I'm just like, whew, there's, I'm glad I'm learning this lessons now. That's right. right. Like, I'm glad I'm learning those. I'm so glad I'm learning this lessons now. Yeah, that's right. So if we look at rest as a way of insisting upon ourselves and we've kind of taken that pause, now we're able to shift and ignite ourselves into action. So what has that looked like for you? 
Well, I mean, when rest, one of the things that, that I realized that I used to do as a child that I have adopted again, that I lost track of it was daydreaming. And I remember as a kid, just daydreamed with music, thinking of places that I would travel and so forth. And realized that that was my own version of rest, right? Of kind of dreaming and sending something out there to the universe of possibilities of what I wanted to do. So one of the practices of rest that I have reconnected with has been daydreaming again. Long. And it's really has ignited this feeling that anything is possible, that I get to dream things and that some of the things that I dream up actually become reality. Right. And some get to just stay in that dream world. Trisha Hershey talks about that dream space that we create for each other, which I think it's absolutely beautiful. When we are at a stage of burnout, I mean, I think I was reading that Sweden actually considers burnout and has it listed as a disease. Mm. Right. Okay. So that's when we know how serious and how complicated burnout really is. And that it just doesn't go away because you take a yoga class and then take maybe two days off from work. But that's this consistent compounding impact of stress. And once I came to understand that, I just naps have been a form of rest that I have welcome again. So I try as much as I can to schedule a nap, even if it's 30 minutes, just to get a little rest that I have found very rejuvenating. Warm baths with Epsom salt become a thing, something that's easy to do that I do. And so by plugging in those practices and, and really honestly, it's welcoming this idea of slowing down. I have found that I have become more creative. I have found that my energy lasts throughout the day without feeling depleted. I feel clear. And when I'm with my child, with my partner, when I'm at work, that I'm able to just be more present. Mm -hmm. I think when we lack the rest and it's we lack that compounding effect of lack of rest, it can really literally, I was defining it as like feeling like an out-of-body experience. Like I'm literally here, but feel kind of disconnected because it's just I'm all over the place. And I also respond to even the most minor things, more irritable quicker. Things will get me upset a lot faster. And now I have regained the ability to filter those things through a little bit better and have better responses that address anything. But most importantly, that's taking care of me. So I think those are some of the pieces that I have seen that, you know, I'm all about the dream space. I'm all about my naps. The key thing here is that I'm not doing any of those things so that I can produce more. That's important. That's critical because I'm not doing it so I can work more and I can do that. No, I'm doing that so that I can feel better, so that I can reduce things that I'm signing up for, or things that I'm saying yes to, so I can say more no's than yeses because I am tuned into how good it feels yes. to be rested. And then so my goal is how else, how, what are the things that I need to do throughout my day? that I can retain this feeling of being rested. Not every day is going to feel that way, right? But that that's the aim. Like, how can I walk away from the day feeling still fairly rested? 
right? That I don't feel depleted is what I'm trying to to prevent, but that I'm not doing this for production, right? I'm doing this because it's a gift to myself to feel rested and to feel healthy so I can just simply be. Again, going back to the Trisha Hershey stuff, like you can get to be your divine self through that and you get to be that without needing to do anything that's right uh, like producing and being part of this machinery of capitalism capitalism and then when you are rested and restored and present now you're actually in a position to make an impact right yes that now you're in a place where okay i've taken care of self now let me go and give back and and help others. So what does impact look like for you? Yeah, I think it's powerful what what you're talking about because it's almost like we changed the radio frequency, right? It's almost like there's a shift in radio frequency. So then once you're able to 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 get that, then I think you just start getting into a different wave of being and walking in the world that then attracts opportunities for you to make an impact in very powerful ways. Some of the ways in which that has shown up for me has been because of the work I've done to take care of myself post very severe burnout and how I have been able to get clear messages, right? In a dream space and in a rested space, you think you see things a lot clearer. And with that, that clarity has really helped me to do things like I've been doing a lot of workshops uh, for folks around burnout prevention and what that really looks like right like to really sift through the difference between stress and burnout and what is it exactly in workplaces that we need to do right to really help managers understand that even their best intentions are still working from a place of self-care and stress reduction Mm -hmm. rather than burnout burnout is a whole different layer of of work and I've just been doing a lot of this in the past year of really visiting with you know president's cabinets with c-suites with managers with people just unpacking how they're doing with their health how do they know they have burnout and being able to have people feel affirmed feel like they're not going out of their minds, you know, that the solutions that they're presenting, they realize that it's coming from a place of good intentions, but the impact is not what they want to have. I think the impact of of that rest has helped me to really be able to give back an, of my own journey, lessons learned, and critical information for us to really pay attention to burnout and the lack of self-inclusion yeah. um, and how we're starved you know, for it. And it has been powerful because it really has helped a lot of people to come to the awareness. And even if it's just one or two things that they can start applying in their lives, that starts getting us closer to people gaining better control of, of their health and not allowing the systems to be in control of them. That's right. Can you really quickly for us, help us determine the difference between I'm stressed out and I'm burned out? Yeah. So when we're stressed is oftentimes like it's a result of an event or maybe a project, right? Or maybe it's like 
peak season for something that you've been working hard and you feel tired, but you're able to take a few days off, go to the your, to your yoga and so forth, and you can feel still refreshed from there. When it's burnout, it usually has been that you have been consistently exposed to very chronic stress, that it's not like a season, it's not like a one-time event, it's been years of compounding pressure in your system. And you know that it's burnout because you try to get as much sleep as possible and you cannot recover. It's just you still feel so tired. You can try to eat well and do your exercises and you're exhausted. There's just, you can go to the doctor, talking to your doctor about exhaustion and they can't find anything technically wrong, right? Or a diagnosis or anything, but yet you're having all sorts of symptoms. Uh, your body hurts. Depression has its in. All of those things start, that's a very different, it's a prolonged exposure to this pressure and stress. It's not necessarily related to the workplace. Burnout is directly related to the workplace. Okay. So it's oftentimes the environments and the work environments that people have been in. So I know the World Health Organization finally defined burnout in 2019 as being prolonged stress in relation to your workplace. So that's also a difference between stress and burnout. We just use the language of burnout very loosely. We oftentimes get stress and burnout confused. But when we're talking about burnout, we're really talking about occupational, very severe exhaustion. And that's why I love talking to people about kind of the fact that Sweden is, has labeled it as a disease. They actually have it under, under very chronic exhaust, exhaustion disease, as well as post-traumatic stress, that's where it's coded under. So when we think about post-traumatic stress or chronic exhaustion syndrome, and then you think about that burnout is tied to that, yes, this is where we're talking about if you have the access to short-term disability, if you have the access to the FMLA, right, to the family medical leave, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a bath bomb at that point. We're talking about, and it can take on average about two to two and a half years to actually come out of feeling better from burnout because it impacts everything. It really impacts everything. So how do you keep working? How do I keep moving through this leading from that place of healing as opposed to trauma? Yeah. While also burnt out. (laughs) or without the burnout, because that's where I think where people are like, oh, this is great. Such a great conversation about this. But if I have to pay the bills and they can't see a part of what happens with with burnouts that they're so exhausted, they can't see anything beyond what's in front of them. Right. And so this is where it becomes very critical for work environments to create some very intentional burnout prevention strategies and work with employees, you know, to do that, but understand that the employee is not broken, that it's not that they're not capable of managing quote unquote stress. It's that there is something in the design of the job demands and the expectations that are overpowering the resource of the human being to be able to serve, right? So there needs to be a redesign and a rethinking of that work. 
So it's just absolutely wild, you know, to think and it can be very overwhelming for folks. So how, leading from a place of, you know, have this and work and still lead from a place of healing is that once you really start centering that self-inclusion and start getting into a, a, a practice or just getting practiced at it, right? That's why I oftentimes give myself some grace by saying I'm getting practiced at it because yeah. there are some days I'm not going to do so well, right? That because you start getting a clearer view of what health could look like, then that helps you make different decisions on whether, you know, I, I understand we got to keep the lights on. I mean, listen, I'm not trying to tell people that they should just, I mean, I know Beyonce told us to quit, but the reality <laughs> is that. We got we to gotta keep, right? There's got to be something lights on. But does it have to be this life-sucking experience, right? That it just takes out your soul? No. But when it's clear, then you can be like, okay, so this particular job is temporary. Let me start looking for other possibilities. Let me get some resources so that I can, you know, update my resume, get my LinkedIn, whatever it is. Or also would have the clarity to say, my day starts and ends. Here's what I'm going to do and to fill myself up. Um, so that I can feel really good and doing some of that. And that starts creating a new habits and new ways of approaching um, the work that you can center self-inclusion a little bit better. You also have to, when they tell you to, you know, you teach people how to um, communicate with you and how to mm -hmm. be with you. It, this, this is it right here. So as you're making that shift and really centering that self-inclusion, those are conversations to be had with your loved ones and the people around you. And there's a possibility that you might lose some folks and you probably needed to lose them anyway. But yeah. <laughs> the reality is that there, there, there would need to be some of that, some of those boundaries drawn in order for you to, to be able to then create the room to work from that place of healing and rather than from that place of trauma. That's right. That is beautiful. And I thank you so much for sharing this with us. You've shared some resources with us, which I'll put in the um, show notes. But if somebody wants to learn more from you or learn more about you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? If you are on LinkedIn, look for uh, Dr. Ida. Feel free to uh, reach out. Would love to hear from you. Uh, you certainly can uh, just by typing my full name. Um, can find my my website and so forth. But LinkedIn will probably be the easiest uh, to come in. And um, especially when I'm talking about our communities of color, we know that 80% of jobs are found through networks. So I want to encourage people to really get on that LinkedIn, to do reach out. I know that I'm not here to provide you with a job opportunity. I really want you to, one, I hope that you do get whatever opportunity you need to get. And it's another way for us to expand our networks. You never know who's in my network who may be able to, to, mm -hmm. to be an opportunity that we don't know about that could give you just about what you need to continue to be on that self-inclusion journey. That's right. I'll put Dr. A's um, LinkedIn in the show notes as well so to make it easy for you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think we could have had this conversation for another three hours. So we'll definitely have to bring you back again onto the podcast to learn some more of your wisdom. Any final words before we sign off? Just really appreciative of you of really centering this topic. I want to invite everyone to 
just grab a couple of nuggets of wisdom from here and see what's possible for them and to know that self-inclusion is critical, rest is important to our liberation and that we're in it. We're going to do it. Thank you. Yeah. You Belong Here with Beth Ruffin is a production of The Everyday Inclusionist and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow, subscribe, share, and leave a review. If you have a question you'd like me to address, send an email to info at bethruffin.com. Thank you.